0: Skype and i everyone. It's Lady Bunny with Ebony and Irony Podcast. I've got great news. Monet is ill. Yes, she's having vocal issues and could not join us today. This is already a wonderful day. So I will bring on our special guest, whose name is Adam Baran, a writer, director, producer, and curator, whose work focuses on Hidden histories of queer life and identity. Uh, and Adam, you, we're going to talk about all of your stuff because you write, direct, produce. But I just watched Trade Center again, which was at uh, a, a short film that you did, nine minutes long, about cruising at the World Trade Center. I Thank also you. watched Circus of Books, um, which was an Emmy Award nominated for outstanding writing for a nonfiction program. And um, other stuff that we want to talk about, including the very salacious nine-plus club about men with big dicks. Unfortunately, they're they're most of them are dead. Correct. <laughs> because this was a show, this was a club that was in the 60s. So even if you are really, really thirsty, honey, you ain't so thirsty, you're going to dig them up and try to put some meat on their bones and, you know, try to get you some or anything. Anyway, Adam... Adam is also a friend for many years and, uh, you know, also does a sex party, runs a film series. But we want to talk to him about his work and also a little bit about um, Bros, the Billy Eichner movie, which tanked at the box office. And there's now a blame game going on. So,
1: Adam, welcome to you. Thank you so much. I uh, Yes, a longtime fan. I think I saw you. First in a queer movie, which was the Wigstock documentary, and maybe Late Night on HBO.
0: Oh, okay. Okay, yeah.
1: And then I've been obsessed with you ever since. So oh. I love you, and I come on, love to come on your Facebook page and troll all your posts, and I'm uh, uh, th- thrilled to be on this show. Well,
0: I am locked out of Facebook because of this r- insane two-party factor I- authentication. I mean, I will, I can, I know someone who knows how to do it. I just didn't mind taking a break from it because I've been more on the gra- gram, the Gram, as, mm-hmm. as, uh, Deandre calls, Princess Deandre calls it. <laughs> but, um, this is a wonderful time to be in New York. I mean, I've literally just sat in front of a fountain with coffee for the past week. It's been so gorgeous, right?
1: Yeah, and and did you figure out where which way to go to get home
0: after? <laughs> the park is my home, Adam. <laughs> of course, don't, make of y- course. Don't, don't punch down at the unhoused. <laughs> <laughs>
1: okay, yeah, that's something we argue about a lot too. I love that.
0: Yes, well,
1: okay, well, we, we do well, argue, yeah. but
0: that should make for a, a, a fascinating discussion. But so, did, did you stu- study at film school? What is your background?
1: Yeah, I went to NYU for film school. Uh, in I graduated in 2003, and my whole experience at NYU was really, um, strange because I had just come out in second semester and I was really focused on figuring out, like, who was I and also going to Barracuda every night and not like doing all the work that I needed to. And then when I finally started. I wanted to focus on making gay films and films that were sex positive, and all my teachers were like, "Well, that'll be really too limiting for you. You shouldn't do that." Uh, but I just kind of did it anyway. My family's really stubborn, and um, I just kept making gay films. And it's like twenty years later, and I'm still still working at it.
0: And so your your, your family d- thought was a little more prudish. They didn't really like <laughs> the idea of, of this kind of you doing this kind of film.
1: Well, it took because them a little. Well, let, it me took just, let me just a little while. Yes. Yeah,
0: let me give you. Let me give me a little background. Uh, the Trade Center is about cruising at the World Trade Center, um, yes. and you know, like getting sex in in, in public places near mm-hmm. the World Trade Center. Circus of Books is about a delightful couple that ran a book store chain in L.A. Which, um, you, I mean, you probably tell it better than I do. It was a kind of a front for gay porn when gay it- porn wasn't easy to get.
1: It was a gay, it was LA's most famous gay porn shop. And uh, yeah, it's been around since, uh, it was around since uh, the 70s. And the straight couple took it over at the end of the 70s and turned it into one of the most successful businesses in West Hollywood. And uh, yeah, I produced that project. And my name, you can see my name on a bottle of poppers in the credits, uh, in the <laughs> opening in the movie, which is, I think, the greatest uh, film credit anyone. Has ever gotten certainly my most proud moment uh, in cinema history.
0: Now is, I'm looking at your bio. Is this did you win a, a did you get an Emmy nomination for yes for outstanding not, writing? No, the,
1: fi- the film did not. My not me personally, but oh, okay. the film the film did. Yeah, we got nominated for a nonfiction. Special Writing Award uh, and the work of our director Rachel Mason and Catherine Robson, who are uh, was the editor, uh, was yeah was nominated. So it was a it was a real thrill.
0: Well, let me ask you this: Do you look back on your professor's words and think, "Oh, but you know, to some degree, my subject matter of choice is limiting. It doesn't matter, you know." But but I mean, I, I guess it is. I, I, I mean, is it? do you look back and think, oh, maybe they were right about
1: that? I mean, is it oh, harder to
0: pursue?
1: Time. 100% harder. I mean, in, in one sense, they were right in that, yes, it, and especially at the time. In the early 2000s, it was very limiting. There was basically only the indie scene and you couldn't get, you know, mainstream gay movies made, which I think is why when we're talking about bros, it's so interesting because like watching that movie, I was going like, oh, this was the kind of movie that I thought I was going to make when I got out of college was like this, like very kind of mainstream gay rom-com sort of world. And here it is 20 years later, and, you know, it's finally exists and has come out. But uh, at the same time, I, you know, also knew that my my professors who were telling me that it was too limiting were also basically being homophobic and that, like, you know, every every time someone, you know, tells you not to write about who you are or to focus on your own life, like, that's just wrong it's you wouldn't tell any writer that so it's it's weird i have them both in my heads and i sometimes i go back and forth and think oh i should have listened but other times i think i wouldn't want to be writing you know spider-man or something like that except maybe for the paycheck
0: yeah well i mean hey you got to do what you want to do um yeah damn them all did you get any pushback on, on the the um the trade center, trade being a play, RuPaul's drag race, fans will know <laughs> on a trade, like you trade and barter or something, or your trade is huge, meaning that you have a large penis. So, I mean, that, that. Th- I I did think, ooh, that's ballsy, Adam, because, um, you know, people, you know, have this hushed reverence surrounding 9-11. And here you are exposing the the scenes of depraved gay sex, you know, when it was still happening.
1: Yeah, I mean, so Trade Center is so interesting because uh, the— the most the only pushback I got, straight straight people loved it. It played at South it premiered at South by Southwest. It played at AFI Ducks, a bunch of festivals. But the gay festivals were like a little less eager because I think they anticipated that there would be this outcry or controversy from something that, you know, took the context of the World Trade Center and all the cruising that happened there in many, many places up until 9-11. Uh, They thought that it would be like, oh, my God, they're going to hate us. You know, straight people are going to hate us if they find this out. And I was like, no, the whole point of this documentary is to show how history our history has been erased from this, you know, event and how we we we, you know, everything that's measured. You go to the 9-11 museum and you see like a room full of. You know, uh, uh, which is now closed. uh, You see a room full of tributes to all the dogs who were rescued there, and there's nothing about any of the gay people who may or may not have been there during, you know, these attacks. And people have said to me in the time since that there were that there is someone who someone who was believed to have been cruising during the first nine uh, attack at the World Trade Center in '93. Who uh, was killed in the bombing then, and uh, his story has never been told. So, you know, my, my, but, but gay people were the only ones commenting, going, oh, we shouldn't have this out there. You know, we shouldn't, uh, this should, this is bad. You know, so
0: you're comparing gay people who like sex to dogs.
1: Ah, yes. well, I, I think thought this was true. a
0: sex-positive uh, <laughs> sort of episode, Adam, I mean, come um, on. So, yeah, I mean, one interesting thing about the history of it, and, you know, I'm a New Yorker, of course, yeah. but I know so little about local goings-on, and I really don't even know what is to blame for that. I mean, I'm a nut job. But so— uh the film briefly goes into a couple things that i was interested in which were that you know Giuliani had closed down a lot of the sex clubs bars and clubs where they had sex and um and so the world trade center was actually one of the last kind of like public sex things that we had and and of course you're you're using footage you know, from more recently, of the area, which has cameras, which cameras are now everywhere. And while they're, they're it may result in, uh, you know, some help with law enforcement or whatever – it is a total total disruption of a privacy that we've always had. Where 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 good and bad deeds went unnoticed or just questionable deeds. I remember being in London when they just uh started this and someone had uh, thrown a hit of ecstasy in my mouth and I at the end of the night, so stupid. So I was like in a cab with the uh, the 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 uh, window open, just like looking at the lights, you know, go by, and 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 then I saw went past a a few um, cameras, and I was like, I don't want them to see me drooling, you know, I don't want that doesn't need to be preserved anywhere. I just want to bug out. So I mean, it's kind of interesting because it's like, I I mean, there is a debate over whether those cameras really help things or whether we're in a police state, but I don't think. When, when talking about there used to be cameras and, and, you know, pre Giuliani when there was sex in clubs, I don't think people fully understand, Adam, how, I mean, there, there were legal sex clubs, you know, yes. like the St. Mark's Baths and the uh, East Side Club, you know, but, but some people, you know, did not want to make a conscious choice to go to them because, They weren't out of the closet, but they enjoyed sex with men, which some people think heightens the sexual, you know, uh, environment. I like men that are confused, and honey, they're really confused after I get through with them, okay?
1: (laughs) Yeah, I mean, the, the thing about New York is, uh, to go back to talking about politics, I mean, the, the, the sex clubs in New York and, and many of the sex spaces were just known and accepted and open. You could go to a club and a, or a bathhouse and have a hookup and then go back to work or, you know, head there in the middle of the night and, and do some stuff and go home to your partner. It, you know, these were all legal and safe. And you go to every other city around America, they have bathhouses, sex clubs, all sorts of things. But here in New York, once uh, Koch and then Giuliani closed both the bathhouses and then the clubs, and then Giuliani closed all the Times Square – venues and made it, you know, cleaned it up for Disney, uh, it was basically saying, you know, they imposed these new rules that now any, you know, new business that starts can't be, you know, within a certain amount of feet from a school or a religious institution, church. all these things, church, right, all these things that are just, you know, nonsense. This is not how it is in other places in the world. So new Well, York the church been- didn't
0: want the competition, because they're, no, they're, you know,
1: they're getting down at the church, honey. That's, that's uh, very true, very true true um but you know a lot of my research and a lot of the films that i'm working on right now are just about you know forgotten spaces where people went to hook up or socialize or meet and you know new york has made it very hard i think for people to gather uh even though our mayor and the previous mayor you know all want to go out to nightclubs every night and say they're the nightlife mayor you know uh, the, the, they're not making. Why? Why? And they're all losing huge amounts of tourism money from not having sex clubs either. Gay people come to New York and want to, you know, go nuts, and then they go, I can't find any place to go. You know.
0: Yeah. I mean, I tell you, I saw. I don't know if you know the song Hideaway by Keisha. It's about five, six years old. A big dance hit internationally. No, she did a tour, and she was like, "I'm going to D.C., L.A., and San Francisco." I was like, "Wow, New York's not even in the picture." It's <laughs> like, a, you know. So, I mean, you know, I don't know what makes you know gay tourists choose to go where, but I will say that I mean, this the gay sex spots were certainly a reason why I stayed here after I arrived in the 80s. I mean, in the eighties, I don't think people really understand what that was like to i mean there's places like the eagle in atlanta where it's kind of like illegal but it happens and it's permitted and so you know one thing about giuliani who you know i think the rest of the world understood that he was rotten when he was trump's lawyer um you know but before that he was rotten here and he was painted somehow after 9-11 as america's bear i never understood that i mean he did his fucking job when there was
1: a a a catastrophe (laughs) (laughs) I mean. <laughs> but also but also let's look at the thing that no one ever talks about about Giuliani is and the firefighters know this he was completely negligent he's responsible for so many firefighters deaths because he didn't fund their requests for walkie-talkies so none of those firefighters who converged on the World Trade Center had working walkie-talkies which contributed to this like kind of chaos of that day so there's so many firefighters who consider him like a flat out murderer for what he did And he was, yes, like you said, turned into this like grand hero. And of course we now know different than the rest of the world. But yeah, we were saying, you know, mistress Formica was calling him out every night at squeeze box saying, fuck Giuliani, you know?
0: Right. Well, she was calling him out on things about the, the no dancing in club, the cabaret license rule and about, you know, the, the kibosh on, on sex clubs. But sometimes I, I wonder if the, if the, if, If you mean yeah, you can call him out and you can get cheers if he's taking something away that we like. But was he really just enforcing the laws? You know, I mean, like the laws were on there and they were they were enforced selectively. Like those cabaret laws that said you couldn't dance in a club unless you had a cabaret license—that was on the books. So I I didn't. I, I mean, it's easy to just say, "Eh, I hate Giuliani," but it's 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 harder to say change the laws. So don't just be against Giuliani before changing the laws.
1: Right. Well, but also his, he, he installed an administration who were actively making public statements against nightclubs and saying that nightclubs were, you know, were, were cesspools and flea traps. And I think there was an early, there was a fire uptown at a a venue in Harlem, uh, that, you know, where people died and they used this kind of tragedy to say, oh, we've got to accelerate closing these places. And, and, um, you know, so like with everything, you know, that they we talk about you know the crime is up in New York City. The, the mayors can make the crime go up or down because they control the police. They can say to the police, "Okay, don't when people come in with complaints, don't file them because we want to show that the numbers of crimes are going down." Um, oh. So. I don't, I, you know, which Bloomberg did extensively. He, he, there are all sorts of great articles in the Village Voice exposing how he, uh, how he would tell the police chiefs, you know, to, to not bring in as many cases so he could get lauded as the mayor who made crime go down. And Eric Adams, you know, wants to make it go down, but uh, he can't make his police do that, you know. So well, they just about,
0: need, they just need swagger.
1: Right. That's right. Swagger will beat COVID. <laughs> And swagger will beat uh, fire safety, and swagger will beat everything, that monkey pox, you know.
0: Well, you um, know, I can't I, – I didn't vote for the, the, the mayor because I liked the Latino woman, and then there was a the big scandal about her employee. Yeah, I and, liked her too. And, and, and Maya – Maya,
1: Maya what, Wiley. She was terrible. Yeah.
0: I, I would actually write her on – write back her fundraising emails and say <laughs> – um, you know, the only thing that fundraising emails would say, I do that, I write back to people's newsletters, it's re- it's re- this is how empty my life is. And I, and, I, and I would say all of your fundraising emails say that you're a black woman. Uh, who sta- am, am I supposed to do the guesswork? Who stands for what? Cheap right. insurance? Um, you know, a change in policing? You know, a, um, anyway...
1: So she would I didn't, have been. She would have been a hundred times better than Eric Adams, unfortunately.
0: Well, I did not end up voting, so I don't. I, I can't complain too much. So um, because I, I, I planned to vote for, for one, and then that scandal came out. But yeah. you know, it's like um, uh, what, whatever. I, I, I did. I did one interesting thing. I think is that a lot of Black and Latino people voted for Eric Adams, yeah. and he's a former cop. Yes. Um, so, you know, it, it was almost like I, I don't know whether crime has changed um, like so much. That's what people say. I haven't seen it myself. In I me mean, uh, neither. You haven't.
1: Nope. I mean, the thing about Eric Adams is he was a lifelong politician, a career politician in the New York machine. So he had a strong constituent base. He was, you know, well-known in Brooklyn, and he could unite all these different factions, both, yes, black black and brown and Latino folks, and uh, the Hasidic who voted for him, you know, en masse. And um, so he really, he wrapped up all these these blocks. But... um, You know, immediately they start with this total bald-faced lie that this uh, this, these bail reform laws that the New York State um, uh, passed, uh, which basically say that you, if you get arrested or even suspected of of, a crime, and they arrest you for anything, even shoplifting, you can be taken to Rikers and held there indefinitely, and you do not have to, you do not have the right to pay for even bail. Um, and so they started saying, oh, because they passed these laws that are actually protect people's civil rights, that this has caused crime to go up, and there's a million studies that show this totally not true, but Eric Adams beats this drum and says this every day, and that the crime is going up, we have to change these laws, and there's literally no correlation between the bail reform laws and crime in New York, and crime has gone up everywhere because of COVID. That's just a fact. Over the past two years, people are poor, people are hungry, people don't have work, they're committing crimes they're doing more things and it's also like we never focus on the white collar crime the media media never covers you know how many corporations are stealing or polluting or doing any number of terrible things but you know yet we're we're all supposed to live in fear of you know subway slashers and and you know shooters and all this kind of nonsense so to me he's a clown and i hope he's a one-term mayor
0: yeah i'm so i mean i i i I see all this stuff about um, crimes going up, and when I go to, like, the drugstore, everything is locked up. Like they, oh, yeah. They, they used to lock up, like, tooth bleach. Not that I use it. <laughs> um, you know, uh, <laughs> and now they yeah. lock up, I mean, razors, soap. Ty- I mean, everything tylenol. is locked up.
1: And then, you, and then when you get to the counter, you have to check it all out yourself now. That's the new thing. You get CVS and all these places. They don't even have cashiers anymore. Yeah, they do.
0: You just have to sit and wait for them. I <laughs> won't do it. Just, just I, I say this kills your jobs. Yeah, I'm not checking out. I, I agree.
1: Out. But the CVS now, I went to a CVS and they don't even have cashiers that, that this one I went to. They have a woman who checks your receipt after you check yourself out and it's yeah. like it's so crazy
0: yeah i mean uh, yeah that that's that's something else I would love for people to remember or to not remember because they probably weren't around. But remember when a time when gay wasn't okay. Remember a time when, when you know, the represent- representation that we have was not there. Be that drag race or willing grace or, you know, whatever. And so... If you so it when you you know people weren't as likely to come out as gay and so they would have to use a place like um, the World Trade Center to get their rocks off because they weren't good you know and that was part of the appeal these people a lot of the people in there you would never find them in a gay club because they didn't consider themselves gay
1: absolutely and it still happens today the the. The Samuel Delaney who's a great uh, writer, gay black writer, writes about Times Square and about how like the uh, Times Square porno theaters were this were the one space where men of different races and classes could intermingle. So you'd have a Wall Street businessman hooking up with a janitor, you know, and that people would form bonds uh, over their own sexual interests rather than just like go to the clubs, which were often very, very segregated, you know, and you'd have people going to, like, bars that catered only to black people or catered only to white people, and if black people tried to go to the white people's bars, they would have to produce, like, two or three forms of ID, and there were all kinds of forms of intimidation that kept spaces segregated, but the sex spaces didn't have that, and so if you went to the Rambles and you, you know, you could meet people that you would never see elsewhere, and, you know, that broke down barriers between people It made people see people as human and In ways that they hadn't before. So sex spaces to me are like this vital thing that, you know, really deserves to be exalted in the gay community rather than people, you know, saying like, ooh, we don't want to tell that story. We don't want to, you know, we want to hide that, you know.
0: Yeah, you know, I remember there was a popular. Everyone always said it was hopping like at, you know, certain hours and down by Wall Street there was like an adult bookstore. I don't remember the name. Oh yeah, the, 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 the Anne
1: Ann Street Bookshop. That's right.
0: That's right. I never <laughs> made it there, but um, the uh, the the interesting thing is that so. A guy in your film said that a lot of people like to cruise the World Trade Center because the Wall Street guys had money. So was this like a hustling thing? I honestly never made it. Or it was like a little bit of both, just permissive.
1: I think it was a little bit of both. But I also think like, you know, maybe the dream was, oh, you'd hook up with some Wall Street guy and he'd give you his number and you'd become a regular, you know, fuck buddy of his or something. And, you know, you never know. I mean, I I'd certainly know people who are in happy marriages today who met in CD bookstores and cruising spots. And, you know, that was their love story. So it could right. certainly have happened with the World Trade Center.
0: Well, another guy in, in the, the movie Trade Center, um, by Adam Barron is, uh, he says he asked a guy for his number and the guy says, oh, you can find me here. So that was part of the appeal, the anonymity of it, not just because we were forced to be anonymous and it was illegal to have sex in public places, but because, you know, the anonymity and possibly the danger of being discovered heightened the thrill.
1: Yes. Yes, that's completely it. I mean, there's, you know, nothing more exciting than going into a forbidden or secret space, you know, that no one knows about and having some wild sex, going back out into the world, and no one knows the wiser. You know, that's, that's a, a tremendous tremendously attractive thing for, for people. Even straight people do that now, too. They've copied everything that we do. They have apps and they go places. and
0: They you know, have AIDS. <laughs> they stole AIDS from us. <laughs> <laughs>
1: it's not fair. You, probably wa- you want them to give it back?
0: They probably, well, he can't get it twice. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> You have another project coming up called How to Have Sex in a Pandemic, which examines the impact of COVID on LGBT New Yorkers. When is this coming out and where? I want to know. This is a web series.
1: How to Have Sex in a Pandemic is a web series that I'm producing uh, with Director Michael Lebenluft, who um, we have have support from Scruff on this project, so they're putting some money into it. Um, The aim is to have it out by next year, Um, but we've been filming over the past uh, two years of the pandemic um, and really looking at how COVID has impacted the lives of queer people. And we're using kind of the past and the history with like HIV and how people reacted to HIV to develop safer sex practices, to look at how people are responding to um, COVID and trying to do those things. Yeah,
0: I, I, I mean, I I guess my own answer to how to have sex in COVID is not to. Um, I mean, I'm not in an age where my juices are flowing and it's not the first thing (laughs) on my mind. So, um, you know, also heavy drug use will mute that. So, um, yeah, you know, I, I... we had, Monet and I had a, a doctor on, Dr. Darian, um, earlier in the podcast, right when COVID was hitting. And he said that if you could smell someone's fart or perfume, then you were close enough to catch their COVID. And, I mean, this was before vaccines or anything. And, and right. So th- but, but then he said something about um how uh you you know there there's ways to have sex with you know with covid still being here to minimize your risk and he was talking about like I think spooning, which I'm never 100 percent sure what that is. I like spoons going into ice cream and desserts and all that, but I, I don't know, I don't exactly know what that is. And anyway, like as if so that your lips weren't facing each other. And so obviously, I think he was trying to do his duty as a public servant to like say, I know people people might give up smelling people's farts or perfumes, but they're not going to give up sex because it's like basically if if you're spooning with somebody, honey, you trust me, you can smell their far I had that accident one time with my dad and oh it was awful the, 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 the um no no but, but I, so it's like I mean, how, how do you handle that obviously the 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 safest yet unrealistic for most is to stop having sex for years right that's right. what I did, but I don't expect others to do that because they're younger. They'll get over COVID more. They don't have, they're not diabetic. They're not fat. They're not old. You know, they're not, you know, they, they don't have issues, uh, immunocompromised issues. So how, well, how, how, some
1: of them do, you know. Have those issues, and they, everybody deserves to have sex because sex is joyous and enriches our lives and brings us pleasure and takes us out of the world. But mm-hmm. the problem with uh, COVID right now is that, and throughout the pandemic, is you know, there. When you step in and you sort of say to someone like, "No, you can't do this ever again," or "You have to hold off," it, it doesn't. It's not realistic. It didn't work in AIDS, and th- there's lots of data that shows that it's not working in COVID. You know, people want to have sex, and I know people who were having sex all through the pandemic and weren't stopping because it was something that really, you know, they they couldn't they couldn't take it out of their lives. So, you have to figure out like, what do you do to mitigate risk? And so, in the early days of the pandemic, there were people the, the New York City Department of Health put out these guidelines that said, use glory holes, use barriers. And there's actually a really great new queer film called Follow the Protocol, which is going to be at New Fest uh, this weekend on, and on streaming. That's about somebody trying to do this, someone who you know wants to have sex, but follows the New York City guidelines and makes his whole apartment kind of clad in plastic wrap and things so he can have guys over. Uh, and it's really wonderful. Um but, you know, there's other considerations with uh, COVID, like uh, how do you have a sex party in the time of COVID? You know, how how can you have a sex party and make people wear masks? Uh, you know, can you ventilate better? What kind of things can be done? I mean, we're not, you know, now we're in a world where, you know, we were, we're being told the pandemic is over. There's no masking necessary. And I, you, I just sat on a plane to, you know, back and forth to L.A. where no one was wearing masks. And it's like, you know... How do, we, how do we lower risk even in these scenarios? So we're looking at all of that. And also um, there's going to be an episode about how couples or people in polyamorous relationships deal with that because they are actually coming in contact with so many more people. Uh, how do they keep their lovers and their partners safe from that?
0: Well, um, let me tell you this. <laughs> Sluts get what they deserve. Okay. If they're not me, I never got what I deserve. Um, no, I, listen, I, I, I mean, I would be interested to see how that is uh, working because it's like, you know, people have different approaches to the pandemic. And if you're younger, you're probably going to get over it. You know, it's, let, I'm not trying to stop. Just because I decided to stop having sex, I'm not trying to stop people from having sex. But there is a, there is a risk there. And my God, I don't remember being this afraid during – AIDS of I, mm-hmm. as I was as monkeypox for that month month and a half that I could not get a vaccine, yeah. and it was COVID, and they're telling me to come up and do and do meet and greets, and I'm like, oi, yo oi. I'm
1: like, I, I just don't. It, it, it's mm, it's a lot. Yeah, we spent uh, you know, I so I throw this sex party called NYC Inferno, and in Brooklyn, and I spent we stopped we did we brought we came back after COVID only in April, and we did we did two we came back in the COVID after in April and we did two parties and then monkeypox happened and we shut down uh, immediately. And we, I sort of went into overdrive trying to make sure that all the people on my mailing list who, you know, wanted shots could get them. And I was on Instagram every day, giving people tips on when to log in. And now the city is actually working with us and with other people who throw sex parties and they're, sending out vaccine vans to parties like we're going to have a van uh, at my party on Saturday night and we had one last month and we vaccinated 90 people out of 151 guests and so you know they're giving the full doses and they're the city is finally like down with harm reduction strategies when it comes to monkeypox so you know I feel like some city agencies are getting better but in general the CDC and You know, people are not looking at, like, okay, how do you keep everyone safe during this with regards to sex and sexuality?
0: Well, I mean, I did read something on CNBC that said um, that, you know, we missed the window to contain Absolutely. monkeypox. So even though the cases are down receding, which is if that's because of um, of uh, vaccines, if yep. that's because of people changing their behavior um, a bit, yep. you know, during this time, something that the gays did worked, which I'm thrilled right. about Um you know, so yeah, it's it's like I I, I just I don't remember being this scared of being with other people. And, you know, listen, I'm a nutcase. I call myself the COVID Karen because I'm just not comfortable doing, you know, what other people are doing. I'm not eating uh, indoors in restaurants and, you know, not trying not to do meet and greets at gigs because I just, you know, this is the truth. I think people were deceived by thinking that once you get the vaccine, you're good to go. So they'll come up to me all the time with no mask on. And say, can I get up in your face and do a selfie with you? And I'm like, I've never seen you before. We're in a pandemic, and and you know, then like I'm vaccinated because they were taught to believe that if you're vaccinated, nothing, you don't need to do anything else, no, no other. So I mean, I'm just thrilled to hear well, you mention, you know, ventilation as a as a as a party promoter because it's like the government ain't doing shit to 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 stop transmission.
1: Well, yeah, th- I mean, there's there's two things I want to say about this. It's like there's nothing crazy about the way you're behaving with regards to COVID safety. And there's a lot of people out here, not even people who are immunocompromised, but certainly a lot of people like that who are the same way, who go places super masked, who don't do, you know, interior uh, activities, who don't eat in restaurants and, you know, the rest of the world just going back to normal and saying, oh, this is over is really kind of like. It doesn't bring everyone along on the ride like we should really be caring about each other and we're never going to get through this pandemic if we don't do that you know so places need to re you know retrofit their ventilation install HVAC systems anything you can do to get more ventilation in a space is going to be better for a party but then on the flip side going back to what we were talking about about Giuliani and and Koch and all these people closing all these clubs because of all these heavy regulations like sex club spaces including the one where I do my party, like we can't build a new space that actually has a new ventilation system or has ways to get, you know, people out into the open more because there's no ability to create a new space because New York is so restrictive. So anything we want to do like meets up against this like heavy regulation and it's just it's just depressing
0: in the end. What, so, like, zoning stuff will prevent you from rebuilding a space because it already has to be grandfathered or something? Is it six?
1: Some, yeah, some, something like that. Yeah, I mean, there's only two real, like, established sex spaces that are still open in New York, and they are basically grandfathered in, and the police show up all the time to try and shut them down. and. So if you wanted to build a, you know, you go to France, there's a sex club on every corner, there's a darkroom bar on every corner, and there's a, you know, there's places like Steamworks in cities like Chicago and San Francisco that it's like a chain of, of you know, sex clubs, bathhouses. Um, but you can't have that here uh, because, yes, because of zoning, but also because of this regulation about, you know, sex businesses not being able to be opened in, you know, In certain spaces. And I'm like, there are crazy industrial areas where there's literally no people who live there, where there's only just factories and warehouses of food and other goods. You could have sex clubs in those spaces, Industry City in Brooklyn, all sorts of places in the Bronx and Bushwick, you know, Mm -hmm. Manhattan too. So... Uh, yeah.
0: So did you get your start going to sex parties? Were they liberating for you beyond going to bars and meeting people? Because, you know, when you were coming up, and certainly when I was coming up, there wasn't a grinder. Yep. There were personal sass in print.
1: <laughs> yeah, I, I always talk about like my how my first kiss was actually, my first gay kiss was in the back room of the cock, and it was with, it's, I had wandered in, and somebody started to, like, jerk me off, and then this guy who I had come with, who was younger and very beautiful, sort of saw and sort of knew that it was kind of my first time having anything over. And he came over and he like took the, moved the guy's hands away. And then he took over and we made out and I came all over him in like 30 seconds. And to me, it was such a beautiful experience because it was like, he was like, kind of caring for me and making sure I had a good time and uh, you know, making it mean something more than just the anonymous. But I love that feeling of like anonymous, you know, walking into a back room and, and you know, experiencing something. It, it does give me a lot of joy. It still does. It's something I really value uh, in my life. And, um, you know, but the thing I noticed at, at sex parties for years was that, um, you know, the a smell. lot of people the- the smell that's (laughs) why that's why you want ventilation (laughs) that's why you
0: you really need the ventilation honey.
1: (laughs) yeah i mean i like the smell but what i noticed was that i feel like guys treat each other kind of like shit uh at sex spaces you know there's a lot of like negative attitudes people be you know rude or racist or openly nasty to people who aren't their cup of tea and Part of what I do with my party is to try and, like, you know, train people to be nicer to each other. Uh, and, uh, you know, you can simply just say, like, no thank you to somebody if you're not interested and you don't have to, you know, single them out or, you know, be rude to them. And uh, and it's been pretty successful. And we have a real inclusive crowd we have trans folks who come and and there's a lot of barriers broken down over the course of how long i've been doing the party and uh people see it as a real diverse place where like anybody could come and have a good time even you could come and have a good time Now,
0: didn't you do a sex party that i worked at once the pj was djing
1: oh my god what was that party? you
0: hired me to perform and pj uh was djing
1: i don't remember that at all
0: Well, honey, I got some good dick that night, an Indian fucking doctor, stud. I was all over I'm sure I was drunk. but Anyway, so you say that the, the sex party is for trans and cis folks. That's interesting because usually, I mean... Like if it's an all male thing, it's an all male thing. If it's an all trans thing, it's an all trans thing. Like there'd be trans bars and whatnot. So it's like, yeah. it, it usually a sex club will be like for the people of bondage, for the people. And you have theme nights and whatever. But how, how does that work out with the trans and cis people? Because you're probably not going to find too much gay men having sex with trans women, although there might be. I I know that there's a lot of gay guys that are interested now in trans men, which I never remembered uh, before.
1: Yeah, I think that a lot of the practices have evolved. I think that, that people with my party, it's people who want to play in a space where there's a lot of different people. And, you know, there are gay guys who come and they... May just want to play with other gay guys, but they're totally comfortable being in spaces with other people who are trans, who are trans women, who are trans men, who are non-binary. And then there's also trans people who come and want to play with other trans people, or there's trans guys who want to play with cis guys, and cis guys who do want to play with trans women. Or sometimes you have like bi guys coming and they're playing with everybody. So they're whores. They're whores. They're whores. And um, give
0: them my number, honey.
1: And, you know, they they they, this is totally possible. And I think the way we sort of silo ourselves into, you know, oh, you only have to be, you know, all male, you know, cis man or whatever. Like, it's fine to do that. It's not it's not necessarily terrible. But, you know, don't reject someone out of hand. If your party is all male, that includes cis and trans guys. You know, if your party is all female, that has to include cis and trans women you know and and so um, But
0: but for some reason when the atmosphere is let's get our rocks off it has always been divided, unless it's like a kink thing, like mm-hmm. the um, the uh, J's. Jay's. Well, no, Jays was gay. Hellfire, hellfire, hellfire. that yeah. was like a kink thing. Um, where I once worked as a safe sex monitor with no hips, no lips below the hips. Right. We had to say, and we ran around with flashlights snitching on people. Yep. So, um, but what is it about spaces where it's geared to sex, where? there is a tendency to stick with your own kind so that everybody that it's not that it's not that you're not going to be able if you're a gay man you want other gay men like you you may not want to see you know women for example are not let into leather bars traditionally or sometimes drag queens and even though it's not the fairest thing i kind of get it because everyone there is there because they want pee play or they want, you know, fisting, or, or or whatever. You know what I mean? Does that make yeah, any sense?
1: Absolutely. Um, you know, I think that the the while it's certainly fine for for people to do that and to play in any way they can. I think it's also important that people have spaces where they can explore other things. I mean, you may be a cis guy who thinks that you're absolutely only 100%, strictly dickly, you only want dick, you you don't want to see, you know, people with different genitals than, than that. But you may not actually know what you're, you know, that you may find somebody. It may not be that you're into everybody, but you may meet somebody who's so hot and you hadn't considered that and suddenly your dick is going, "Oh uh, yeah, I might want that." And I know a lot of people like that who've come to our party, you know, both cis and trans who have experienced themselves, you know, finding pleasure in new people that they hadn't felt that way before. So it's it's really a good and fun positive space for people who are just into sex. They're just like sex nerds and they want to just Play around and, and so I do, I do totally understand people wanting to be with each other. I'm not advocating that, you know, uh, guys who, you know, throw sort of specific parties, you know, catered at their own sort of type are, you know, wrong or evil, but, but you know, certainly now I think a lot of the culture, even in the leather world, you're seeing a lot of, a lot more trans acceptance, a lot more breaking down. They're not having necessarily contests like Mr. Leather. It's, you know, just leather, you know, leather master or things like that, that take the gender out of it. And I think Things have to evolve for them to stay alive, otherwise you have this thing, which you find sometimes in New York where like you go out to a club and DJ's playing exactly the same music that was the week before when you went there.
0: Thank you! (laughs)
1: <laughs> yes, it's a, Lady Bunny's the monster. But, you know, <laughs> they're fun. But it's sort of like, does it make it as special to go every week if it's the same exact, you know, playlist or, uh, you know, you see the same people? I, I, to me, that's sort of like frozen in time. And it's a lot more fun to have a space that's variety where you never know what you're going to get and where every time you go, it's just as special because it's different.
0: What's so. That, that- Understandable. I just wondered, you know, because over the years, like Shaquita, they once yes. you know, demanded ID at Splash, which is a big gay club, and 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 they tried to say that it was because she had open-toed shoes, and she made a stink out of it. I wasn't there. I don't know what happened. But then that that reminds me, because I was never like a leather person, but I was a slut, so I would want to go where the guys would want to pick pick up quick, like just get it and let's get out, or yeah. do it in the bathroom. I ain't proud. Right. And, um, and so one time I went to the Eagle, and I looked down at my feet, and I said, bitch, You have got some kind of fancy. I wasn't in drag. I said you got some kind of fancy fucking, uh, it's uh, European looking sandal on. You're the only bitch with sandals on in here. There's all these signs up, you know, saying no perfume and you know, you know, da 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 da. -da. So it just it it seems to me like like I, I would criticize that, but then part of me would say, well, you know what. If y'all don't want me, I'll go where I'm wanted. And you know, I have a trans friend who said, you know, she would be up partying late with the guys at somebody's apartment after the club and then it would turn into a sex thing and she would feel like, "Okay, boys, this is turning into a boys' night. So I'm going to I'm going to let you I'm going to cut out and let y'all do y'all's boys things." So, I mean, there there is something to that as well. You know yeah
1: totally I mean uh, yeah I don't I'm not against that at all I just think you know the, the, some of the things that we think are just sort of established are really based on a faulty reading of history like you were talking about leather guys and the leather culture like yeah in 1964 theres a famous article in life magazine that comes out that talks about you um, leather bars for the first time and it's this clarion call kind of article for men across the country who have seen only representations of gay people as sissies and drag queens and they feel like that's not them so they flock to this idea of the leather bar because suddenly they are told that it's for masculine men women aren't allowed and you know uh There's no women of either gender, as the article famously puts it. But at the same time, like, these men were just trying to establish their own kind of gender presentation. But at the same time, like, they were all people who, a lot of these people worked in, you know, various jobs that, like, they were not 100% leather all the time. Mm -hmm. That was a different kind of drag for them. And, like, the... This film that I'm doing now about the early days of the leather scene in in this from '64 to '89 and the Nine Plus Club, it's like all these leathermen love to go get in drag. They would do runs on their motorcycles out to a farm in New Jersey, have a big orgy, and then they would get in drag and put on, you know. A review and, and they would write musicals uh, based on established musicals and, and you know, rewrite them to be about leather guys and then get in full drag. And so they were exploring their sexuality and their gender presentation, too. So it's not as simple as just saying like, oh, you know, all leather guys are like this or masculine men historically have only been with masculine men. Like there was so much more mixing, I think, in the 60s and 70s than people realize there is today.
0: Yes, but when, when when the gay community becomes large enough to compartmentalize itself into bears, twinks listening to pop music, you know whatever, it, I mean. There is like this, I mean, even if they're, you know, like a flaming uh, hairdresser, when they go to that leather party, they're in leather. That, I mean, you you know, when when you say drag, I mean, yeah, I mean, that may be their drag, but um, I, I, I almost understood why they didn't want a drag queen at the Eagle because... Um, it was like they're all, honey, they were all putting their mustache wax in, listening to Judy Garland and Barbara Streisand, just like every other queen. And then right. they get to that bar and they've got to put up this male thing. So they don't want a, a string of pearls coming out of their mouth when they see me, and they're tempted to say, Fabulous or hideous, in my case, you know. You know what I mean? It's like they're they're doing an act that they put on for sex, and they don't really want to confuse it. And another reason I thought that they might not want women in there is because some more butch men, possibly top men, I wouldn't know. They feel like, and this is why they don't want women in there. I think a lot of gay men feel like, especially more conventional gay men, feel like. A pussy is what I'm supposed to want. I don't want a pussy. So to come on my cruising ground and have a pussy, it reminds me of the parents that said I should be this. It reminds me of the church, of the schoolmates that said this, you know, was, was, I was wrong if I didn't have this. So, you know, do do you see what I mean? It's like almost as if someone is is permeating your space, which is killing your fantasy
1: right well what i would say i i mean i i understand that mentality but i do want to say that the leather men you know when i was talking about leather men getting in drag i'm talking about them getting in full female drag these men would get into full guiche and uh you know just just go nuts and and there would be drag queens at leather bars in the past and you know in terms of you know seeing a pussy i mean i think you know now we have very hot men who have pussies and uh uh, you know, at my party, that's happy and accepted, and everybody goes nuts for it. So,
0: okay, well, carry on then. Right. Now, uh, so, so you're very busy with Act Up, with the sex parties, with the multiple films. Tell us about the one coming up, which is sure. the Nine Plus Club, because there's a lot of size queens out there besides me.
1: So, yeah, The Nine Plus Club is a documentary I'm working on. It's a short documentary about a place in short. Chelsea. Short?
0: Sounds like it's rather lengthy and girthy. <laughs>
1: <laughs> um, yeah, it is. Well, it, The Nine Plus Club was a private gay leather club that existed in New York from 65 to 79. And it was one of the only uh, private spaces for leather men that uh, was like a members-only club. Um, there were th- This was part of uh, this was a time when Leathermen and gay men who were into the scene uh, formed little fraternities, little clubs, and so they'd have names, where like Wheels or Cycles or Empire City Motorcycle Club, uh, the Thunderbolts, the Spuds on Long Island, all these different groups, and they would either ride motorcycles or uh, travel to leather events, uh, and they, you know, were kind of, you know, you see these guys with back patches and motorcycle jackets. Uh, and this was a fraternity where they could all meet was the nine plus club. Um, so I'm making a film about that. I've been interviewing surviving members and collecting archival material. And, um, you know, also just talking to people about their other clubs and experiences, because no one's really documented this history of the club scene before, um, in a film or, or a book or anything like that. So I'm just having a great time talking to all these older, old leather Queens and, um, Learning about, you know, how complicated the history was and how ma- basically it's a lot like today where people were worried about gentrification, they were worried about assimilation, they were worried about politics, they were worried about, you know, what type of gay person they, they should be. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, it's, it's interesting to me that we've lost the focus on big dicks. <laughs> I mean, I mean <laughs> of course,
1: take away. I, I, yeah. I don't
0: know if you remember this, but um, in gay bars, gay men used to wear all their junk down the side of their leg, and they would even put bleach. On the, the part where their, their dick was to make it look as if their raging hog just, it was about to just bust out they damn britches. Um, you know, and that's what the bleach would make it look like, would corrode the fabric as if their, their dick was just about to jump right out of their pants. Like it could barely be contained that it was so big. Um, but isn't it odd that, I mean, and I never see guys who are out, um, you know, the funny thing is, even, even, it's even different with the between the Roxy and now, because the Roxy always like they would hunt around the world, South America, you know, right. over, for these gods who were handsome, muscles, and big dicks. It, it seems like a lot of people don't care about that anymore. I know I do.
1: Yeah, I don't don't know that people have stopped caring. I think certainly, um, but, uh, you know, so many people are into fisting now that I think they've replaced the big dick with a big fist. They've just moved on completely. Um, You know, the Nine Plus Club, obviously the name Nine Plus Club, you know, immediately makes you think that everyone in the club was – you know, horse hung, but when I've talked to some of the guys, they said that really wasn't true. That really was just a kind of advertising trick that they used to get people interested in going to the club to say, oh hey, you wanna you wanna go to the nine plus club and see what why we're called that? Um, but in actuality, nine plus, uh, stood for the nine members of the club's, uh, executive board and on the plus was all the members. But, you know, I know a lot of people who said they met people by, by them coming up to them and saying, Hey, you want to see why I'm in the nine plus club? Um, but yeah, I don't know. I, I still love big dicks, but I I also love small dicks too. So
0: how did that is very inclusive of you now? How, um, how, how did they determine that the guys could be in the club? Did, was there some lucky bitch that got to measure them all or unlucky? <laughs> that, Cause they may have come up short. I don't know.
1: That was the, that was the rumor. That was the, that was the, uh, the, 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 the advertising that they put out that you'd get measured. But, but, Really, you didn't have to be measured to be in the nine plus club. You just had to be a good guy who liked leather and liked hanging out with your uh, fellow brothers in the nine plus club. And you could, the best part about it was you could go there to eight, till 8 a.m. So it was open every night from like 9 to 8 a.m. So when you finished up at Stonewall, you could go over to 9 plus or you could, you know, come there from the Ramrod or the Eagle or any of these spaces uh, and just, you know, do whatever you want, drink, have a good time. Uh, It was one of the few clubs as well that wasn't mafia affiliated. It didn't have they didn't pay into the mafia. There was no connection to the mafia, which made it really um, unique. They could avoid police and the mafia at the same time.
0: This is from an interview with you, Adam, because, you you know, you want to bring you're, – you're bringing stuff like, you know, the Nine Inch Plus Club, the yeah. historical New York City venue, uh, yeah. sex cruising outdoors at the World Trade Center. That You, you know, you've, you've focus on things that are, as you say, sex positive. Um, and, and this is from an interview. First, the question with you. There's been a move in the last five years or so towards queer audiences demanding optimism and wholesomeness. I can see where that's coming from, but you run a risk of shouting – Quote bury your gaze unquote at anything that has an unhappy ending or brings up difficult aspects of queer life and you say that's extremely on the nose. Before we started doing queer art film, there wasn't that much queer film programming in New York. There was little rep programming and New Fest was the only game in town. As someone who's programmed for festivals like it, they absolutely have an interest in showing warm and fuzzy gay movies because the movies are so. Un- Because the audiences are so uninterested in being challenged and want to see affirming content. When we were doing OutFest, the guiding ethos there, and at mostly most gay festivals, was, quote, the movie will sell if you show two shirtless boys kissing, unquote. It's true. They sell out immediately. That's obviously the type of content that gets prioritized. I love and need happy stories, too. Um, but I want to see crazy shit. I don't want to just go on Netflix and see a carbon copy of a boilerplate gay romance. Which kind of brings me to my next uh, subject, which is You Saw Bros, the Billy Eichner vehicle, and there's been so much hubbub about it. I tried to see it yesterday, but you know who I ran into? You may not remember this whore. Tangella DeVille from the Pyramid. Do you remember her?
1: No, Honey, no she I was don't. so
0: rare. She was gone by ninety. So she was, she was, she was, she was gone before Disco Two Thousand. She was a Pyramid Queen. Uh, you know something else. Trust me, she, she was something else. And I got together with her yesterday, so I didn't get to see it. But you have seen it. And what was your take on Bros with Billy Eichner?
1: Well, it's interesting because, like I said, I wanted to make this kind of movie that Bros was when I was in college and then you know over the years i really drifted away towards that uh, from that towards movies like that i program at my new film series which are like i try to show all the weird shocking gay stuff that you know nobody makes anymore um but the, the when i went into bros i expected to hate it i don't like billy eichner i don't like his show i don't like the uh the other one that he had on hulu it wasn't my favorite but i went in and i was just like what they didn't show in the preview is it's actually funny. Mm -hmm. Like there's so few comedies that get made and so few comedies that actually make you laugh. And the movie is like chock full of a joke, a minute, you know, there's all kinds of 30 rock style gags with like Kristen Chenoweth coming out in some crazy rainbow costume, all these little things that just like crack you up. So I ended up Kind of being won over by it, and then Billy Eichner has this moment in the movie where he talks about his own professors as an actor trying to like get him to de-gay and you know to tone down his own sexuality, and you know he actually expouses some of the same stuff that I do believe about how you know it's good for people to see explicit gay content and we shouldn't be censoring or showing you know th- trying to you know tamp down portrayals of you know bad gays but at the same time uh the movie itself does not take a ton of risks in terms of you know it's still just basically a rom-com where boy meets boy and and you know it doesn't you know it doesn't uh it doesn't break the um the mold so to speak so uh i did really like it but i didn't uh, i there's very valid criticisms that one could level at it and mm-hmm. um many people have done that uh better than i have
0: well you know when we spoke a few days ago you know you had some interesting comments because there's there there's been more brouhaha about bros the movies failure to deliver at the box office. Billy said, you know, there's a lot of factors to it to open this movie in many theaters, a rom-com in 2022. There are rom-coms with megastars which struggle at the box office. And a lot of the biggest comedy stars are taking their movies uh, to streaming. I still love seeing these movies in the theater. So that's interesting to me because you know what? The last time I wanted to go see a, a movie in a theater in New York it was during the fucking bed bug epidemic in the theaters and I bought tickets for me and Xavier Smith to go to see some movie and then we then we he looked it up online for a review and there was a bed bug infestation and in I was like oh my god. So, you know, between that and covid, I don't I, I mean I love going out to movies in the theater, you know, like like Billy does, but you know, Billy but has is that gone forever because I, I was I felt young honey I was I was looking around to see where I can get this streaming honey now that I'm now that I'm on the hulu drag extravaganza I have Hulu I have Netflix I'm like a young person and uh so uh you know I, I, but it's not available on streaming yet so is that what's going on with movies yeah. to where it's like if they really want you out in the theater they'll let it run for a limited run in the theaters and then bring it to streaming or do they take choose a special one like Amazon Prime or how do they do that? How does that
1: work? Yeah, I mean, I think, yes, I think streaming services primarily use the the release of their films in theaters um, as promotion, as a way to, you know, in markets where they think people will want to go see it in the theaters. But yeah, they've, they've basically taken the theatrical experience out of being an essential part of everyday life. And they've also done this by, you know, producing very... Similar content, endless amounts of superhero movies and really bland content that means that, you know, you don't have to go see the movie th- this week because there'll be another one just exactly like it in two weeks, you know. Um, mm. I think that the thing with Billy Eichner's movie is that, you know, he's right. I mean, comedies have a really hard time at the box office. Um they they didn't used to, but you know I can't remember the last one that was you know huge. You only hear about Marvel movies and you know Oscar movies and things like that. Can um, you remember
0: the last one that was funny?
1: The last comedy I saw that was funny? No, <laughs> saw, not not in a movie theater. Not in a movie theater.
0: I saw Filthy Rich Asians. That was funny. I saw. Yeah, that someone was
1: theater. watching it next to me on a plane the other day. Uh, <laughs> Crazy, rich Crazy, Crazy Rich Asians. Crazy Rich Asians. Asians. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So, but, um,
0: but Billy also kind of came out and said well he didn't kind of come out he
1: he no, came he, blamed, out. he blamed homophobia on why the movie didn't succeed at the box office yeah which um,
0: kind of makes me like you know Mm, a little bit, because it's like, wow, you know, you you do all kinds of things. You throw a party, you throw a festival, you throw a sex party, you put on a movie, you do a show, and you know what? Sometimes the, the ingredients aren't right, and it doesn't take off. Now, you're 100%. saying that's a shame, because the, it is actually a funny movie, and it stands out in, in that way. But, I mean, I find it very odd to, 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 to hear the star of a movie saying that the movie flopped because... Um, homophobes didn't want to see it and straight people didn't want to see it. Well, guess what? Uh, I don't want to see this shit. You know, I'll I, I watch a good movie if it's a guy, but I don't really, really want to go see a dick and a pussy and a fondling of the breast. I mean, I, I, like I say, if it's artfully worked in to the movie and, and there's other things besides that, but that's not the first on my list to see. So why should that be the first on straight people's list to see? Was he th- thinking this movie was going to be a test run on how much, uh, you know, will they the allies really support the, the allies, and he also says, to his credit, that that there's, um, that there's uh, while the comedian stands by his original claim that homophobia was a factor in the film's lackluster box office hall, he also understands that the gay community has bigger battles to fight than getting straight people to come to his movie. I'll say, because I mean, as I think you mentioned, there could be anything from the image, you know, because when I see two physically fit you know, white guys with their hand in each other's back pocket—that doesn't necessarily speak to me um, as as like, oh, I identify with that. I want to see those two bodies get down. I want to see the them getting together, the fights, the you know, you know, whatever. That doesn't ma- ma- immediately make me want to run, but I'm more prone to see a good movie, whether it's straight or gay or trans or whatever the fuck. You know, I, I want to see a good movie.
1: Yeah, I, I mean, I agree. I think I think that the. Uh the thing about Billy Eichner's, you know, that whole judgment that he put on that—that that, you know, the homophobia in the audience is like, look, people put my, my, millions of dollars into movies; and they calculate. You know, this person has 8 million followers. This person is a huge box office star. They can figure out with a calculator if they put Sarah Jessica Parker or, you know, uh, Julia Roberts or someone in a movie, this is how many people are going to go see it. Billy Eichner is like a TV star who was breaking into movies for the first time. He tried to carry his TV audience to the cinema and you know it wasn't as uh there wasn't as much people there as maybe he or the studio thought um you know judd apatow came on as a producer of this movie which enabled it to get made he's a very successful producer to me did the movie need to cost 20 million dollars there's no other stars in it you know i don't know it didn't look are you saying that t.s
0: madison isn't a star because t.s madison fun- is
1: a big star she's wonderful you said a crack
0: about that. her weight
1: no, that was you, buddy. That was you.
0: <laughs> so, well, I, I would mean... never l- so, so, so the director's a guy named Stoller, yeah. um, who said gay men are the only people who saw this movie. So Dykes didn't want to see it either. Um, you know, so maybe... I, well, I mean, Dykes have no sense of humor. Why would they want to have, go to a comedy? That's <laughs> a slight generalization. Um, but, uh, you know, he, Lesbians he says...
1: Lesbians can be very funny.
0: They can when they are leaving and saying, I will never argue with you again goddess bunny um, Lily so, Tomlin here's what a lover her. here's what the the Stolar uh, guy who directed it said quote the fact that this was a gay comedy that went out to 3,000 theaters in Birmingham Alabama and like Gary Indiana and everywhere in America it created the possibility for a different kind of success and a different kind of failure and we experienced the failure. Now one thing that you as someone that makes movies when we did like a little pre-interview you said what you know it made it made 8.9 million cost 20 million to make but that was in this it was in the two weeks so obviously it's not a blockbuster success but it is a niche movie and you kind of said well why not just why not just say hey come to it and put out the the parts that are the comedic parts in a new cut together a new trailer and 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 have and draw people to it instead of say oh you know i don't make movies for homophobes because that's kind of sour grapes
1: I agree with you. Yeah. I mean, I agree with you reading what I said to you in the pre-interview. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I agree with myself. Uh, yeah. I mean, I think I wouldn't have necessarily, if it was my movie gone on Twitter by Sunday night to say, you know, yes, it flopped. And here's all the people I pointing my fingers at. I would have said we had we had a great first weekend. Yeah, maybe the media thinks we're a flop, but that's not what the story is in the theaters. People are going to see it. My theater was sold out. I know plenty of people who saw it. I had good conversations with a lot of people. You know, I snuck into theaters and people were laughing. I I think he should have put out the positives and really held off on the negatives for like a postmortem like in a couple weeks. Because also the movie's going to come out on Peacock real soon and it's going to be streaming and it's going to be a big hit there. And you know, this is the thing. Like the, these movies, they're why do you not- say it's
0: going to be a big hit there?
1: Because streaming, it it it's just known it will be a big hit on Peacock. People are gonna. That's the perfect place for it to premiere. It you know, it went into theaters, but it really is the kind of thing that does very well on streaming sites. It's it, you know
0: because you don't wanna okay, if this is my only experience with it. Obviously another gay sequel that I was in. Uh yeah. you know, it, it, it wasn't a box office smash, it was a limited, you know, release. Um but of course, yes, as you say, it's gonna do well with streaming because you find you, you don't think I have to run out and see this right the second because right. Bunny is in it. Uh you know, you 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 think, you know Oh, okay. There's this gay movie. I'll catch it, you know, later or whatever.
1: Do- right. I mean, movies used to co- gay movies used to come out, and the only place you could see them was in the theater, at a film festival, or rent it on a home video. And now you can just sit at home, and new movies are just broadcast right into your your uh, your TV, and you don't have to go anywhere. And so people have really got out of the habit of going to the movie theaters. Uh, and so, you know, it's not so easy to get people back in the movie theaters when you've just trained them to be like, you know, we're just you, we just want you to sit at home and do it. And a lot of this is because in the pandemic, people, you know, like you, fell out of the habit of going to the movie theaters. But um, well, I was going to go to the earliest showing so that
0: at least I would get the freshness where everybody else's COVID particles would yeah, drop down, yeah. you know, under this under the seats.
1: <laughs> no, I mean, yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Um, but, 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 but the, the you know, the, the, the impact of the movie, sh- you know, can still be measured in that anyone who sees it is going to learn about gay history. They're going to see a positive story. They're going to feel affirmed. It's going to have an impact on people. I mean, like, you know, things that have small impacts, like they always say about the Velvet Underground, like everyone who went to see this, like one tiny show that they did, like went out and formed a band. It's the same thing with gay movies. The smallest gay movies are the ones that inspired and influenced people who went on to do really big things. I mean, you know, look at you and uh, you and Rue going to see Dina Jacobs shows and other shows in Atlanta and then like, you know, spreading that craziness to the rest of the world.
0: How do you know Dina Jacobs? I just I I
1: read all about her in the the Night at the Sweet Gumhead. Did you read that book?
0: No, but I read her book. Um, She has a book out. uh, She's brilliant. She is brilliant. She's been performing uh, as a woman since 1969. And, I mean, traveled all over the world, Brazil, all over the world. She's still traveling. She's still on, on the road, Dina Jacobs. So how does it work out for future, you know, big gay movies if this bros doesn't do well with all of its marketing push and, you know, being in the theaters
1: Yeah, I think it's, um, you know, it's certainly challenging. I think a lot of people who were, um, you know, critical of the movie were also sort of piling on the idea that, you know, and Billy Eichner, I think, felt this too, that, you know, if this movie isn't a hit, Hollywood is going to be less inclined to make big-budget gay movies or movies that have a, you know, central gay theme, and they're still going to insist that, you know, maybe we be the best friend or the subplot or some minor characters, but we were not the... The focus of their efforts to tell our stories, um, so it can have a chilling effect, but it can also have an instructive effect in the way that, like, a studio might look at Bros and say, "Okay, well, what was the problem with Bros?" You know, I mean. Maybe the problem was, like I said, that Billy Eichner wasn't enough of a star to open a big-budget feature movie all across the country. You know, we look at something like, you know, movies in the 90s, like, you know, Robin Williams and Nathan Lane and The Birdcage made a fortune. To Wong Fu made money. All these, you know, gay movies that came out. And, you know, there have been plenty of movies that are gay that had big stars in them that, you know, made money. So. Is the issue that it's gay and everyone in the movie is gay or is the issue the star power or is the, the issue the comedy, scenes? The, the, sex sex scenes? the sex scenes where everyone's in boxer shorts? Um, <laughs> you know, what is it that that makes people go into the see movies? And I think like a smart producer and a smart studio could figure out, you know, what was wrong. And I, I, to me, I think the main wrong thing in the Uh, Bro's release was the strategy was just a strategy to talk about how groundbreaking it was all the time and how important it was instead of just showing the jokes. There are so many jokes in this movie. It's so funny. Like you said, cut a new trailer, get people, you know, to want to go see this stuff in the theater and it would work.
0: Yeah. Well, I will check it out. And uh, until then, Adam, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you, us. Bunny. And and I will see you in an unrecognizable kinky outfit at New York City Inferno. You guys can check out the pictures. If It's once a month. Is that the beginning yes. of the month or the end of the month?
1: It's the third Saturday of the month.
0: Okay. And all of us uh, safe sluts will be looking forward to how to have sex in a pandemic is that what's called yep web series and is that just a web series that you google or is it on youtube or, you know right like right now
1: right now there's one episode up on vimeo but the rest of them uh, will be coming out next year
0: wonderful well thank you adam
1: thank you buddy oh. such a okay. pleasure
0: all right darling